Well, good morning. How are we doing? Welcome to Redemption Parker. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors. It's my privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning. And if you have that, let's go ahead and jump in and get started. So Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to start. Uh, we're in this King in the Kingdom series. We're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew uh, because he is the King Jesus and he has brought his kingdom to reorient our lives and our hearts to that which is of ultimate importance. So again, would always invite you to open up the word or turn on your phone. Uh, the, the authority comes not from me, but through God's word. Let me pray for us as we uh, turn our attention to what God has for us this morning. So Father, thank you for the people here. Thank you that the people that you've gathered. Thank you that those that, that have already placed their trust in you, that you're stirring their affections for you. Thank you for those that don't know you yet, that they get to hear the good news of how life can be found in you. Lord, I pray that as we turn our eyes to you, we're reminded that uh, every man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from your mouth. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make your word alive and active and effective in our hearts and minds right now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn that off. Well, Matthew 15, we'll be in the second half, but I, I got to do something this last week that uh, I just love to do, and, and it was just this. On Monday, I got to go to lunch with someone uh, that has recently, in our faith family, just given their life to Christ, and to, to sit there and for an hour and a half just hear his story, hear uh, about how uh, God had been moving things in his life, through often through trials and tribulations and, and struggles, but bringing him to this point just about two weeks ago uh, where he surrendered. And he said he felt like the chains had, had come off. And as I just hear his story and the smile and sometimes the, the tears in his eyes, like I'm smiling and I'm, I'm tearing up because uh, it just reminds me of the rescuing, redeeming, awe-inspiring love of God when I'm in that moment with the new believer. And, and it really is my prayer that, that we would be a church that, that, that would be on mission, one, so that we could uh, just share the gospel and see new believers. But that's good for us because it's good for me when I sat down with this guy and just heard his affection for Jesus and it stirred my affection and it reminded me of, of the rescue that took place in my life. And so as I told this brother, hey, the scripture says that uh, in Colossians chapter 1 that when you trusted in Christ you were transferred from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son God loves. That's your new identity. When I said the, the old is no longer there but the new has come in Christ. That you have a new heart. I'm just going over these truths with him. And as, as I go over these truths with him, I'm going over them in my own heart and mind. And my worship begins to rise in that moment. And, and I remember God's affection for me. I remember when, when God rescued and redeemed me. I, I remember being a 19-year-old pizza delivery driver and uh, just going in my car and driving and, and, and listening to Christian, uh, it was radio uh, sermons and programs and just, I, I was learning all this new stuff. And as I read the Bible for the first time, I was reading all this new stuff and it was life to me. And, and what I would do is after I'd get out of my car and I'd go into the pizza hut and wait for our next one, whoever was there, I'd be like, hey, I got to tell you something about God. Here's what I just learned. And guess what? They listened. 
They not only listened, they asked questions, and we would have these conversations. And I remember the first Easter coming up, uh, uh, as a new believer, I was like, hey, um, I just talked to every pizza delivery driver. I was like, you should, you should come to church with me on Easter Sunday. This is the one day you should come. And, and guess what? They showed up. There was like seven pizza guys in the front row. They showed up that day. Uh, and, and it just was, I just had this fire to, to share the gospel because it was so fresh to me. And my prayer for Redemption Park is, Lord, give us, give us new life. Give us new believers because we need that. We, we, they need it, but we need it because we want to see uh, people that have this fresh experience to remind us of what's ultimately important in our lives. Because something begins to happen. Something weird happens in, in the Christian life and in church and, and really throughout church history that, that when, when, when we aren't sharing the gospel and we aren't seeing new life and we aren't seeing that, uh, we, we begin to turn inward and something gets really weird in our faith that's not biblical at all. We begin to redefine the Christian life in weird ways. Like, oh, you, you want to be a mature Christian? You should learn a bunch of information. Okay, what should I do with that? You don't do anything with it. You just get a lot of it. So that's the whole point? Yeah, that's the whole point. That's ridiculous. Our prayer grows cold. Missions becomes something for like extra credit Christians out there, not, not anything that uh, impacts us or our, our family, our faith. Evangelism ceases. I mean, this is, this is how, the craziness of it. We just proclaim the greatest news the world could ever hear, and yet less than 4% of us will share the gospel in the next year unless something changes. I mean, there, there is a tragedy that can begin to uh, work its way out in, in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds if we're not careful there. But, but it's not just with us, and it's not just an American thing. This is, this is church history. And so before we even look at Matthew chapter 15, we see that, that the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus received more ink spilled on it than any other church in the New Testament. And as the Apostle John is writing the book of Revelation before things get weird and, and demons start eating babies and stuff like that, he writes to these le this letter to these seven churches and to the church of Ephesus he starts and he first commends them. He's like, hey, you guys are good. Like, you, you don't put up with false teaching. You, you don't put up with, uh, you're doctrinally sound. And at first you're like, where do I sign up to be a member of this church? And then Jesus says to this church through John, he says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. They, they had forgotten uh, uh, that first kind of love, that first kind of experience with Jesus. And so what does Jesus say? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So remember, repent, and do the works you did at first. One of the things that I'm so excited about as a pastor here. Uh, just uh, as a Christian in general in America, I, I think this is an amazing time. I, I think uh, even for our church, I think it's that this whole, uh, everything that's gone on in our nation and all the tension and all, uh, all the coronavirus and all the upheaval of 2020, this is an amazing time to hit the reset button and say, what is Redemption Parker 2.0 going to look like? Because why, why did we even begin in the first place? Because the gravitational pull for every church and every Christian is toward apathy. But, but sometimes Jesus will send things in our lives. Sometimes he'll shake us up to wake us up out of that apathy. And that's what I think Jesus is doing now. 
And even as Christian culture begins to get pushed to the side, that's okay. And even as genuine Christianity gets pushed to the side, that's okay because throughout church history, we have thrived in the margins of society. When we're not in the, the limelight, when we're not up front, and we, we just get to follow Jesus and love God and love one another and love people, love our neighbors and love the nations, we do really, really well in those moments. We do really poorly when everything's comfortable and, and things become more about us and our preferences. And, and uh, I didn't like the music that day and, and I didn't really like the sermon and this church wasn't really for me. Like it, it can become this kind of cesspool kind of Christianity and this is a chance to just wash that out and press in. But, but the way that Jesus often does that, I've already said, kind of shakes us. And in this passage, Jesus is going to shake the disciples, and he's going to shake you and me. And, and, and quite frankly, there are gonna, there's going to be a moment, because I know it's in the passage, he's going to offend you. Oh, and he's going to offend the disciples. And he's going to do it from different places, both the disciples and us, but to bring us to the same place. There is going to be a great offense here, but but He's got a purpose. It's for your joy and for his glory to stir you, to shake you. And so if you have your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 15, the second half of the, the chapter. Let me just set up the context. If you weren't here last week, uh, Scott preached on the first half where, where, where the, the, really the heroes of the people of Israel, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem came up to check out what was going on. I mean, if there were baseball cards back then, they would, these guys would be on the pictures of the cards and you, you would trade those. Like, they were respectable. They, they were the ones that, whoa, they, they've got an inside track to God. Like, like they, they were the ones that you wanted to listen to. You wanted to do what they said. Uh, and you didn't want to get on their bad side. Well, they come up to Jesus and, and there's this whole question about how a person is clean. And Jesus says something really interesting. It's not cleanliness before God doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. And he rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes and he calls them hypocrites. And the disciples pull them aside and they're like, Jesus, that's offensive. As Scott said last week, Jesus, that's not very Christ-like. <laughs> like, he's like, what are you talking about? I don't care about them. Like, I'm not even, like, here's the deal. It's what's in the inside, out of the overflow of the heart. So what we saw in the first half of the chapter is that those that everyone thinks is clean are actually unclean. And at the end of the scene, he begins to gather his disciples. And in Mark's gospel, it says he's going to go away to kind of be hidden away. <clears throat> he needs a retreat. <laughs> he needs a, a break from this. And so he begins to walk, but... As he's walking and his disciples are following, at somewhere along the journey, a couple things are going on in their head at this point. Where is Jesus taking us? And, and as he takes every step closer to this one particular region, the, the, they're starting to get confused. In fact, they, they're starting to even get a little bit nervous. Like, Jesus, you, you know where we're going, right? He's like, I know where we're going. Come on, follow me. And he goes and he goes. And Jesus goes into a place that he's never gone before. And he'll only go one time in his entire ministry. We'll see where that is and we'll see why that's significant. Verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So the, here's the deal. The district of Tyre and Sidon, that's Gentile territory. And the Gentiles, because most of us are Gentiles, we're like, oh, we love the Gentiles. They did not love the Gentiles. 
The disciples had been trained their whole life up until this encounter with Jesus. They had, been, they had been taught that the Gentiles were by nature unclean. They were the dirty people. Their land was the dirty land. Uh, you couldn't talk to them. You couldn't go in their homes. You couldn't eat their food. You couldn't sleep in their, their, their inns. You couldn't do any of that because that would make you unclean. And so they're, they're kind of nervous and, and they're wondering and they're hoping that the Pharisees didn't see him go in this direction. Uh, but nevertheless, Jesus goes in for the first and only time into Gentile territory where the dirty people are, where the despicable people are, where the dogs are. Jesus goes into there and in verse 22. Uh, Matthew says, and behold, that's his way of saying, check this out. Buckle up. Wait, you're about to see something happen. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. So not just a Gentile, but a woman. And not just a woman. Matthew says, a Canaanite woman. Again, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, and so he wants to be very clear here, uh, as his first readers would read this, oh, that's one of our ancient enemies, the Canaanites. They're, they're idolatrous. They're wicked. They're dirty. They, they, they deserve the wrath of God. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out, and she was crying. And, and the verb tense there is, it was repeated and consistent and, and persistent. She's crying out. There's tears streaming down her face. And she's calling out to them. What is she saying? She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Okay, again, let's now just picture the scene. These the 12 Jewish guys and their rabbi have come into the land, and they don't normally come into this part. And this woman comes out, and she is, she's hysterical. She's screaming. She's crying. She's desperate. And what does she say? She says, have mercy on me. Now, we know, we know that that's a prayer that God loves to answer. Have mercy mercy on me. But, but she, she shows some insight that, well, actually hasn't been shown by anybody else, the Jews included, on who the person and the mission of Jesus is up until this point. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord. You are the Lord. And then she says, son of David. That's a messianic title. You're the Lord, and you're the Messiah of the people of Israel. I'm not part of Israel. I'm on the outside, but you're on the inside, and you are the Savior of the people of Israel. I've got no claim on you. I, I, I have not, I'm just asking Jesus, will you have mercy? Something in you tells me that if I come to you, there, there is mercy in your heart, and you can do what, what I desperately need. And she's desperate. Why is she desperate? My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Every parent here knows that there are moments in, in, in parenting where your child is in danger or sick or suffering and you would do whatever it takes to allevi alleviate that suffering or to get them out of that situation. So you felt that desperation. This is what this woman feels. And she comes to this rabbi and she knows she's on the outside. But, but for something in her prompts her to say, you're the Messiah, you're the son of David, uh, and my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. We just have to ask the question, why? Children don't just get severely oppressed by demons. 
There had to be a level of darkness, a level of idolatry, a level of just wickedness that was present in this home to open that home up to that so that this daughter would be severely oppressed. And, and maybe the source of that oppression came through this woman. So she's a, a woman. She's a Canaanite. She's kind of got wickedness in her life. You know, a first century common Jewish prayer was Lord, by, by men was, Lord, I thank you that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. She's all these things. Even worse than that, she's part of the ancient enemy. So, so what is Jesus going to do? This woman, desperate, tears from her eyes, crying out repeatedly, verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. That, that's different. Not a word. It's emphatic. He ignored her. But, but she keeps going. She's, she's crying out and he's ignoring her. It, it, it appears like he wants nothing to do with her. And his disciples are confused why they're even there in the first place. But they're, they're getting annoyed, super annoyed. Look what they say. And his disciples came and begged him, Jesus, saying, send her away. For she's crying out after us. Okay, best case scenario in the commentaries I read, best case scenario is that they're saying, Jesus, heal her or do whatever she wants so she'll go away because she's super annoying. And in fact, she shouldn't even be talking to us in public. She's a woman. She's a Gentile woman. She's a Canaanite woman. Just do what you want. Do what she wants so she'll leave Jesus. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, they don't care about that. They're just like, Jesus, get rid of her. We don't care about her. We don't want anything to do with her. She's a Gentile. So he answers them. Let's, okay, well, what's he going to say? He says, I was sent only, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, when, when Jesus does things and says things that you do not expect, you should ask the question, why? What is Jesus doing? He's telling the truth. He is the Messiah for the people of God. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And, and so the, the disciples are like, yeah, we know that. Maybe, maybe when he's telling them this, they're like, yeah, go ahead. Come on, preach. Yeah, say that. 100. Yeah, you were sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The lost sheep of Israel are over there. Let's go back over there, Jesus. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 25, but she came. She, she's undeterred. She came. She knelt before him. She gets on her face saying the most simplest of plea that anyone could say to God, Lord, help me. Did you see it? The, the tears and like the snot is hanging out of her nose and it's touching the ground. She's so desperate. She's sobbing. Lord, help me, please. Lord, help me. Jesus, are you going to do anything? Are you going to help her? Please. Verse 26. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Some of you feel the tension so much, you're, you, you have to read ahead because you're like, I can't take it. This is, not, this is not what I see Jesus as. Like, what in the world is Jesus doing? He says, It's not right. It's not right for me to take which belongs to the children of God and throw it to the dogs. Translation, you're a dog. You're a Gentile dog. You feel that? 
I'll give you a little bit of relief. Jesus is not revealing his heart in this moment. He's revealing the disciples' hearts. It's as if he's saying, guys, this is how we talk to Gentile women, right? They're dogs, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. That's right. But she is undeterred. She, she doesn't get offended. She doesn't say, how, how dare you use a racial epithet at me? Uh, I, I thought there was something in it. She, she presses on in her desperation and she gives us a picture of, of biblical faith. She gives us a picture of how anyone, everyone comes to Jesus. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's not saying, well, I've been good. I, I've, I've cleaned myself up, Lord. I've, I've been better now. She's not saying, well, uh, you know, because I'm, because I'm an image bearer of God, I, I deserve your mercy and grace. No, she's saying, Lord, I know I don't deserve anything. I know I'm on the outside. I, I know uh, that there is nothing in me that is good. I, I am a dog, Lord, but I'm just desperate. And, and Lord, I know that in you, even the crumbs are enough to satisfy my soul. That, that there is more enough from you that, that can overflow out of the children of God to, to people like me, and, and I'll be satisfied. It's a picture of, well, Jesus says, great faith. The ruse is finally up. I believe with finally a smile and with love in his voice, Jesus says, Oh, woman, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She is, she, she, she gets up and in faith she runs home to see her daughter. And the disciples are just kind of shocked. This is scandalous grace. This is scandalous mercy. Jesus would do this with this woman. This is uh, uh, amazing. And, and, they, and, and do you see what Jesus is trying to do here? Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And we'll see why he takes this one journey. He doesn't go to Athens. He doesn't go to Rome. He doesn't go overseas. He takes one side journey into Gentile territory because he's doing something in your heart, my heart, the disciples' hearts. But he's not done. So it says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and went up to the mountain and sat down there. Mark's gospel tells us that he's in the, still in a Gentile ter territory by Galilee called the Decapolis. Says, so great crowds, Gentile crowds came. And what does he do? He does what he did with the Jewish crowds. Bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. So these Gentiles now are praising the God of Israel. Scandalous grace, scandalous mercy is being poured out on the Gentiles. But, but, but they're not done there. Uh, the next section says, Jesus feeds the 4,000. If you were here two weeks ago, or if you look at chapter 14, it says Jesus feeds the 5,000. Matthew's not repeating the story. He hasn't forgotten that he already told this story four paragraphs before. There, there is some similarities here, but there are some differences as well, namely the crowd. And that first crowd was a Jewish crowd. And the blessing of God came and filled and satisfied their souls. Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. But check out the, 
Think about this. So in, in, in our Bible, it's one, one, par- one chapter later. In, in their time, it's about three or four months later. Three or four months later, after they experienced a miraculous feeding of the thousands and they got to be part of it, in this moment, they're now with another crowd and Jesus is like, I'm not going to send them away. And, and they, they, they so cannot conceive the love and mercy and grace and blessing of God going to these people that they can't even connect the dots. Look what they say. Jesus, they say, uh, and that, verse 33, and the disciples said to them, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed a great crowd? Like they can't even think about, well, we've been here before. Verse 34, and Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And Jesus says, bring me what you got. <laughs> And this is crazy to them. He's, he's doing a work in their hearts showing, hey, the blessings are not just for you guys. It's for these guys. It's for all the nations of the earth as well. And so directing the crowd, he sat, down, sat them down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and get, having given them, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Verse 37, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men and besides women and children. The blessing of God, the crumbs of God were enough to satisfy the whole crowd and have more than enough. More than enough for all the nations. So the question we must ask is, okay, so what? Well, what does that have to do with us in 2020, Parker, Colorado? What does this all have to do? What is Jesus doing in the disciples, and what is he doing in us? Again, in verse 24, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is just showing that that there is a progression to salvation. In fact, it began thousands of years before when when God called Abram out of the land of Ur. He says, you are going to be be a blessing through you and through your offspring. You will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, Abraham. But it's going to start with your people. And so he's showing the progression. All the nations of the earth. And Jesus says, I've been called to the lost sheep of Israel. But in John's gospel... He says this in John chapter 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now the question is, how? How is he going to do that? How are all the nations of the earth, how is Jesus, the good shepherd, going to bring them in to the family of God? How? It's through the disciples. The problem was, they thought Gentiles were unworthy of the blessings of God. So he had to do some work in their hearts. You guys. He says, Jesus says, through you guys, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through these disciples, through the disciples in the 4th century, the 12th century, the 18th century, God's plan to reach all the nations of the earth is through his disciples. And there is, that's plan A and there's no plan B. So, so how will the, the people that don't know Jesus and the mountain tribes in Nepal come to know Jesus? You or other disciples. How will they come to know Jesus in, in the hills of Peru? You. How will the Uyghur people in western China come to know Jesus? Disciples will go with the love of Jesus. 
How will uh, Europeans come to know Jesus? How will Americans, how, how will your neighbors come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior through you? You are plan A and there is no plan B. But here's the amazing part of the plan. It's tied to your joy. It's tied to your love. It's tied to your experience. It's tied to your worship. And when we disconnect them, everything stops. Like the Dead Sea, when, when God's love flows to us but not through us, it ends us. It was never meant to terminate on us, and it shrivels up and dies in us. That's not the plan. So here's the plan. God's love is meant to come to us. And right now, because you hear my voice, you're hearing the gospel, you are hearing the love of God for you, that he died on the cross for you. The reason he can set this Gentile woman free that was a dog is because he'll become a dog. He'll become cursed. He'll, he'll die on the cross in our place for our sins to make this dog a daughter. And all that would come to him become sons and daughters of the king. But that love comes to us, but it was never meant to terminate on us. This is what we have to get as a church. It's not about you. It's not about coming in and saying, uh, this is how God loved me today. The way God continues to love you is to call you on missions. And so then that goes to one another. So God loves comes to us, but it's meant to flow through us to one another. That's why in the New Testament, there are 58 verses of one another. Love one another, serve one another, lay down your lives for one another. 58 times. So the way that you experience the love of God and get more of the love of God is pouring yourself out. If your faith is cool, if, you, if your prayer life is dead, if your evangelism has ceased, if all those things have kind of come to an end, it's probably because you've been content just trying to receive and receive and never be a conduit of his love and grace and mercy to one another. And that one another continues. It goes to our neighbors. God has appointed the exact times and locations in which you should live so that people might find him, though he's not far from us. God's plan A is you. But again, your joy is tied to this. Your experience of God's love is tied to this. If you're not experiencing that, are, are you giving away what you have received? And that eventually culminates in the nations. And so this is the cycle. If you want to experience more, if you want more of God's power, you want more of God's presence, you want more of, of God's uh, work in your life, then, then you've got to find a context, find multiple contexts, one another, neighbors and nations, to give that away. Your joy and your perseverance, your, your Christian life depends on it. Because again, when it stops at us, that's not Christianity. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. You are, there are better things to do on your Sunday morning than, than to show up here and just play a game. Like, right? We live in Colorado. No one has to do this. Like, there, there are much better things to do. I just, I see someone riding a bike right now. That's, that's a better thing to do. But, but if, if, it's, if this is a source for you to say, hey, I, I want to renew my mind and my heart and my affections with the love of Jesus so that I can love the people on my left and right, so that we can love the people in our city, so that we can love the nations and the 6,000 unreached people groups in the world today can come and see and savor and worship Jesus, then yes, I'll show up on Sunday. Yes, I'll do all these things because I want more of that. That's what we want. That's Redemption Parker 2.0. And honestly, we would, we would take... 10 people. We, we, would, we would love to shut this thing down and 10 people that are just on fire with that. God's love comes to me. It comes to my neighbors. It comes to the nations. That's what it went. 
To that end, for your joy and for God's glory, let me pray for us. So, Father, we pray for uh, this moment, God. We, we have often taken your love and done nothing with it, and that is just not what you mean for us. It's not what you meant for the disciples. I thank you, Jesus, that we are gathered in this room because you changed the disciples' hearts. And these men would go out and lay down their lives for the love of the Gentiles. Lord, give us that kind of love. We know that we can't conjure it up. We need that from your spirit. Give us that kind of mission. Give us that kind of vision. Give us that kind of power. Lord, we want more of you. We want to see you glorified and we want to be satisfied in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.